Are you tough enough? Hey, maybe you are or think you are tough enough, but is there a toughness problem among, among young men in the U.S. right now? And if so, what can be done about it? And we're not just talking about physical toughness, which might be a problem for a kid, you know, whose idea of playing a sport involves just using his thumbs in a machine instead of, you know, an actual sport that requires his entire body to be, you know, outside instead of sitting on a couch. And how much of a lack of toughness, both mental and physical, would uh, could be dependent, uh, could be a result of a kid uh, not having a male role model, which a lot of boys don't have these days. Not just at home, where they're being raised by a single mother, but at school, where most of the teachers are women. We're going to talk about that today with an expert on mental toughness, and he thinks that the lack of a male role model has a lot to do with it, and he says it's something that the young men who commit mass shootings have in common. We'll talk to him after the break. In our second half hour, we're going to talk about 1619. That's the New York Times' latest project. Uh, It's to commemorate the beginning of slavery in the United States. Uh, of course, there were no United States in 1619, but that's when the first slave ships arrived. But the leftists at the New York Times have decided that we need to acknowledge a different founding. Yeah, the, uh, that, 19, that 1776 thing doesn't get it done anymore, and they're going to make it their business over the next who knows how long to apply their 1619 theory to everything and re-educate you and me about just what our country was founded upon. And according to the New York Times... Everything goes back to slavery, including the fact that we don't have universal health care and who knows what else. Maybe why the pirates stink. But the Times made a big splash with it over the weekend, and PBS, that's the network funded by your tax dollars, has picked it up. And your friends there are going to make sure that the New York Times message about how everything about the United States, good and bad, can be traced to slavery. I don't know if they've said what we're supposed to do about it, but... I just want you to be aware of it. It is coming. Just keep it in mind, 1619. And you know what? we got to make sure that you're mentally tough enough to handle it. We'll work on that when we come back from the break. I would walk 10 miles on my hands and knees. Ain't no doubt about it, baby. It's you are in the knees. I wrestle with the line and the grizzly bear. It's my life, baby, but I don't care. that tough enough. They blow into town with the wind, rain, and hail. And out-of-town storm chasers going door-to-door, often posing as a local company, offering a quick fix to desperate homeowners. If you've had damage to your roof, windows, siding, or gutters and downspouts, you may be eligible to get them replaced or repaired free of charge. Just be careful who you call. Visit WindowsRSPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is the area's premier exterior replacement company for roofs siding, gutters and downspouts, doors, and of course windows. If damage isn't your issue and you just want something new, you'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. A company who will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Mention STAG for an additional 10% off. Windows R Us, proud sponsor of the Jerk of the Week, heard every Friday on the John Steigerwald Show. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. 
Imagine doing one thing that gives you an entirely different perspective about your place in the world. Think it would be worth it? Dennis Prager here inviting you to join me for a 10-day Stand with Israel tour. A tour through the land of Israel in December 2019. Come with me to get first-hand insight into Israel's fascinating past and promising future. Walk the ancient temple steps, sail on the Sea of Galilee, and so many more unforgettable moments. Return home inspired, renewed, and empowered if you've ever dreamed of seeing Israel, this is your opportunity with expert guides and important lectures at key sites. We'll be together in the comfort and safety of luxurious accommodations the whole time. Join me for a life-changing adventure to give you a renewed sense of purpose. Get more details about the trip or sign up now to join Mike Gallagher and Dennis Prager on the Stand with Israel tour by going to theanswerpgh.com slash Israel. That's theanswerpgh.com slash Israel. What is a warrior? At Portersville Christian School, a warrior is more than a team name. Here, at their fully accredited K-12 grade Christian school, just 15 minutes north of Cranberry, a warrior is taught to serve, to passionately model the love of Christ toward neighbor, community, and world. A warrior is challenged to learn as they develop a strong work ethic, achieve academic excellence, and cultivate a lifelong love of learning. And a warrior is trained to lead through Christian character and integrity so they can impact the world for Christ by their example wherever God calls them. So, are you a warrior? Discover Portersville Christian School, a fully accredited K-12 grade Christian school just 15 minutes north of Cranberry where warriors are made at OurPCS.org. That's O-U-R-P-C-S.org. You started your business with nothing but a great big idea. They told you it couldn't be done, but that just made you work harder to prove them wrong. Now look at you, ready to take on the world. Speed Pro Pittsburgh South gets where you're coming from. When they said they wanted to create great big graphics for great big ideas like yours in less time than anyone else, they were told it couldn't be done. Speed Pro Pittsburgh South just smiled and said, oh yeah, watch us. When you need a large format printing partner who can provide high quality visual graphics in stunning detail, from trade show displays to outdoor signs, 3M brand vehicle wrap for your fleet, to window graphics, banners, and decals. Speed Pro Pittsburgh South can handle most jobs in two days or less and can roll with last-minute change-ups without breaking a sweat. Who says it can't be done? For a free quote, visit speedpropghsouth.com. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. August and it's 90 degrees, but there are a lot of snowflakes out there. Most of them are getting ready to go back to college where they can find a safe room if someone they don't agree with happens to show up to give a speech. Mental toughness seems to be a problem with young men these days, and it may have something to do with the young men who are committing the mass shootings. Eric Rittmeyer is a former Marine and an expert on mental toughness. You can find him at mentaltoughnessspeaker.com, and he joins us now. Eric, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, John. So, uh, when I was a kid, back in the 60s, uh, my friends and I were told all the time that we needed a haircut and two years in the Army. So, I guess my... my we did, neither, not, I don't think too many of my friends ended up in the Army or the Marines, but would it be good for every kid in America to experience Marine boot camp? 
Oh my goodness! I'll take it. I don't even expect him to experience Marine boot camp in Paris. On obviously, it's not a lot of fun. Yeah, but it, it could be any type. You know, and I catch a lot of slack for this, John. I'm a huge fan of mandatory military service, mm-hmm. and um, doesn't have to be combat type. But it could be a national type service. But um, you know, what's missing right now is just that that social fabric, that common thread that we don't have right now. I mean, only 0.4 percent of our nation are active. Um, active military. That that's that's an issue. Only seven point three percent of people are veterans. So I think we're missing that piece. So yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan. You want to see big changes in this nation? Make people serve. It would change quickly. Well, aside from what it would do for the country, just I guess I, I'm and what I guess what I'm getting at here is what it would do for the individual kid. Uh, what, oh, sure. what what boot camp would do uh, for the uh, for the snowflakes out there. <laughs> you know, the, the key to this, John, and again, it's, I think that the branch is irrelevant. Marine okay. Corps, Army, it, it, it doesn't matter. I, what I'm about Boot is camp. camaraderie, and yeah. that's what's missing. You know, it's just a camaraderie. It's a brotherhood. Like, being in the Marine Corps, it's like I, I have that brotherhood. Like, we didn't see color in the Marine Corps. We were dark green or light green. We didn't care. We would throw our life on the line for the guy next to us, regardless of where he was from, what he believed, his nationality. And I, I, it just it teaches you how to deal with other people, how to fight for something bigger than, than just yourself. It's a, it's a big picture thing. It have a huge impact, especially on the snowflake uh, generation. But I don't think they have any parts of boot camp. I don't think they like the heat and the sand, please. <laughs> well, the, um, I, you can get that same thing from being on a football team, not to that degree. Uh, but th- that kind of brotherhood is uh, created on being on a football team. Um, I got some of that from being in a Catholic school, a strict Catholic school, where uh, the teachers were awfully tough, and you had to you had to be first of all mentally tough to deal with them, but you also had your buddies to um, to to laugh at you when you got in trouble. I mean, you, there was a brotherhood formed by that. Just and you talk about camaraderie. There's no question. That, uh, that yeah, and I went through that as well. I went to the Catholic school as well. I just had a conversation about that on an earlier call today about the nuns. Like, I had nuns that taught me, and I was horrified. They were all, like, three foot seven inches tall. They weighed 100 pounds, but I was horrified yep. of them. And, and you're right. It was something, it's something common. Again, that's what's missing is the social fabric. However you get it, through the military, through um, a, an allegiance to a group, through a football team, through something where it's a group effort. The group effort's what's missing. Obviously, social media has superseded this. It's no longer about social interaction. It's now about social media, and it gives these kids, unfortunately, they, they just don't grow up understanding how to communicate, and that's a problem. Do you think there's a, a mental toughness deficiency in America, especially among young men right now? Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's not just a mental toughness deficiency. It's just a, it's a lack of emotional intelligence. It's an inability to communicate. It's an inability to see an opposing point of view. And most importantly, it's an inability to regulate your emotion and control your emotion. I mean, we're as a nation right now, I refer to it as being drunk in emotion. We're so drunk, overcome with emotion, we can't think logically. So everything we do is way out in left field. It's crazy talk because we're not thinking logically. We're overcome with emotion. They're inversely related. And has has mental toughness been replaced by uh, by coddling or been eliminated, I guess would be a better word, by coddling and overprotection? 
I think it's a combination of things. I mean, number one, again, you, you, I, I'm a big fan of looking at, okay, where we are now and where we were when, when we were younger. What's missing? What's changed? Where are they? I'm big on the dad deficit, and I, I believe that's a very big piece of it, like, especially when it comes to the mass shootings. It's a major dad deficit. I put a lot of what's happening right now on the shoulders of us men, of, of us as males. We're, we're just not doing a good job parenting. But aside from that, yeah, it, it's the helicopter parenting. It's not allowing people, our children, to be hurt. It's not allowing them to understand they don't get a trophy when they come in 10th place. Right. It's those types. It's a combination of all those things together, but it's not giving them the ability to be hurt and to understand what it's like and how to handle an emotion when somebody says something they don't like. Yeah, and as you were saying that, I was trying to think of my close group of friends, and these guys were friends of mine for a long time, from eight years old over into past sixty years old. Um, um, I can't think of one of my friends who didn't have a father who he was terrified of, and I don't mean that they were getting beat up. You just, your father told you something once, and that was the end of it. That was it. It's, it's, and I don't know if that exists. That, that, yeah, and so when I, hear, when I hear people dismissing the idea of not having a male role model, I know that can only come from someone who didn't have one. And, and the, the problem with it, John, is right now in this political environment where everybody is so bent on finding one thing that I, they can say, well, this is the problem. If you don't agree, then you're that. Like gun control. Everybody points to gun control. It's like, okay, it's easy to do. You don't agree with passing more gun laws, so you're against this. You're for mass shootings. No, I'm not. What I'm here to say, what I, what I talk about is the main problem, the main common ingredient amongst all these mass well, 90% of these mass shooters, they didn't have. They were dad deficits. They didn't have fathers when they were growing up. They had no male role model. You want to talk about common consistencies amongst these mass shooters? It's the fact they had no male role model. And um, you are, we're talking to Eric Rittmeyer. He, you are a mental toughness expert, and you, you um, as, a, as people pay you to come in and talk to Salesforce and people like that to, to instill mental toughness and how to develop it, is that what you do? They do. Yeah, and I train sales teams mainly, John, and when I'm working with these teams, my main objective, and I'm careful, you know, before people hire me, I'm like, hey, I'm not here for bubble gum and high fives and jumping jacks. Yeah. I call it psychological performance training, and I kind of beat them over the head and get them to understand that they can't control their emotion, and when they let the emotions get the best of them, they're going to they're gonna lose sales. But that translates into every part of life. Again, politics, prime example. We're drunk in emotion as a nation. We can't do anything logically anymore. And what what kind of emotion are we talking about uh, that, that, that is, um, has to be overcome? Fear or... or- <laughs> Uh, what is well, you, it? You look at the, the five days, you know, so happiness, sadness, anger, fear, shame. Those are your emotions. And it doesn't matter which one. It's the fact that we're incapable of balancing and, and, and leveraging them with logic. So when something happens, we automatically have an emotional response to it. When we don't know we're getting emotional, before we know it, it's too late. We're already overcome. Again, what I call drunken emotion. We're so drunk in emotion that we're incapable of seeing an opposing point of view. We're incapable of even looking at facts. You know, people don't want to look at facts anymore. The minute you produce some statistical data to somebody that disproves the belief they have, it's automatically racist, bigot, fascist, as opposed to let me suspend my disbelief and hear you out. We can't do that anymore because we're so emotional. So, so one person, uh, obviously you, you are an example of it, one person can make another person tough mentally. Uh, but does it ultimately have to begin and end with the individual? 
Absolutely. It's kind of like, you know, you can, you can lead a horse to the water about, yeah. you know, but as far yeah. as drinking the water, it's the same thing. Like here, this is what you're doing incorrectly. Here's how you handle it. But the problem is it requires a lot of objective reality, a lot of internal soul searching. And um, a lot of people don't want to do that because when, when you do call people out for beliefs they have, and you start questioning a belief they have, which is tied to nothing more than some sort of feel good thing that their great uncle told them 47 years ago. It has nothing to do with statistical data. The minute they question that, and the minute I tell them to flip it upside down and peel back the emotion and look at the facts, they don't like it because then it makes them think and they're like, wait a minute, I don't like the way that feels. It's an issue. It's a problem, but people can get through it. And um, when you go to speak to groups and try to help them with their mental toughness, or whether even if it's an individual, um, how many people are willing to admit that they aren't mentally tough and need to be toughened up? <laughs> the number one problem I deal with, John, is delusion. Especially salespeople, they are delusional. 88% of the salespeople I deal with, I ask them an objective question, and I say, based on your results, in all capital letters, based on your results, how good do you think you are? Or do you think you're average, above average, or great slash world class? 88% of the people that I train think that they're great slash world class. I ask their boss the same question, they tell me only 5% are great slash world class. I refer to that as a 77% delusion factor, and I deal with that across the board. Salespeople, unfortunately, tend to be a little bit arrogant. They think they're better than what they are. So when I come along, they don't like me because I, I kind of put them back down the ground level, and they don't like that. So if you're dealing with a kid, uh, you're a parent or parents, um, how do you know uh, when your kid is mentally tough enough or, or when, he, when he, he or she is not and needs to be toughened up? Yeah, and that's a tough, I get that all the time, John, I have two teenage daughters myself, and you want to learn anything about mental toughness, by all means, try raising two teenage daughters, good yeah. night. Um, but, you know, with children, it's difficult, because there's a fine line, and I'm careful in my house with that, because I, I speak mental toughness is what I do, but it's, you know, a lot of people think that when I talk about controlling emotion, they think that you have to turn it off, which obviously you don't want to do, and this goes back to the male role model versus the female role model. The way a male would discipline a child would be different than the way a female disciplines a child. A male's going to be more blunt, here it is, deal with it, have a nice day, where a female might address it and say, okay, this is how you feel, this is whatever. It's a balancing of that, and it's getting kids to understand it's okay to be emotional, but when you get emotional, it's how you react to it. You can't act this way, but you can't allow them to be 18, 19, 20 years old, and just at that time learn how to deal with emotions. They have to learn this early on. It's let them fail. I'd say that's one of the biggest things, letting your child fail. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm just wondering if, if uh, I mean, everybody knows about everybody gets a trophy. That That's a a blatant example of stupidity, but um, and not you know uh, not teaching kids to, uh, how to appreciate uh, what's what's involved in accomplishing something and failure. Um, but uh, at what age? I mean, at what age are you? I, I, there are different things you can do with different kids based on their age to test their mental toughness or to increase it. How how young do you start with a kid? I don't think there's, 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 I don't think there's too young of an age, John, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't really know where I'd say exactly when's the right time to start. The main thing is being consistent and starting early enough again to try to get them to understand that this is what it feels like. You know, that's the problem. Kids don't understand. They haven't been put in situations enough to understand what it's like to have their feelings hurt or to have somebody say something that offends them. Again, we're used to all this social media where Everybody reacts to something they don't like by aggression, by anger, by saying mean things. Behind a keyboard, maybe you can do that. But if you're 18, 19, 20 years old walking your first job and somebody says something that you don't like and you go off the deep end and say some of the things that you would type on a keyboard, 
there's going to be some problems. And you probably need to do some prison time for that. Yeah. So it, it, there's, there's no minimum age for it. I guess it's just kind of all, it's all depending on, on the household. But it, I say that as long, you know, once they start talking and walking, you can start feeding them the mental toughness. And when, what is it uh, about your military training? You went through Marine boot camp. When did you, uh, when did you realize that you uh, were mentally tough enough to handle it? Or what, was there a time when you were wondering if you were? You know, it's another great point, John. I get this all the time. And people say, well, you know, what's the difference with EQ and IQ? The, the thing with IQ, like in, a, in a, like in intelligence quotient where you take a test, you're born with your IQ. Like, I'm a self-proclaimed not smart person. I went to two years community college. I refer to myself as having a 14-year degree. I'm self-proclaimed not smart person. So you're born <laughs> with your IQ. What we can grow, what we can get stronger in is the EQ portion, which is the emotional intelligence piece of it. Anybody can grow their emotional intelligence. So from my standpoint, going through like a boot camp type thing, this makes me realize, okay, maybe I wasn't the smartest person in school, but I am very aware of my emotions. I'm very good at regulating my emotions. I'm very empathetic. My social skill is good. These are all things that, that highly emotionally intelligent or mentally tough people possess, and anybody can learn them. That's the great thing, regardless of how smart you are. We're talking to Eric Rittmeyer, and uh, if you'd like to have uh, your business, your salespeople, whatever, yourself, uh, I don't know, anybody, your group, become a little bit uh, tougher mentally, you can find them at mentaltoughnessspeaker.com. Um, so um, what's the first step, then, to becoming mentally tough? Uh, just as you mentioned emotion, just uh, deal, getting the emotion out of it. It's, it's, it's understanding the emotion, John. And again, that's, you know, when, when I, when I go in to speak to these companies, they ask me what they're going to get out of it, what they should expect, what does mental toughness mean? People think it's jumping jacks, running 10 miles, doing yeah. push-ups. Yeah, th that piece of it's a little bit of it. But the simplest way to put mental toughness is it is emotional control. It's understanding and controlling the emotion and not allowing yourself to be so overcome that you're incapable of viewing things logically. They're inversely related. So the more emotional you are, the less logical and vice versa. So if you're in an emotional state, you're going to make bad decisions. In sales, especially when you're making emotional decisions, you're going to lose sales because you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. You're going to say something bad as opposed to thinking logically. So it's a balancing of those two. That's the easiest way to explain mental toughness. And um, the the drill sergeant in boot camp, whether it's uh, Marine or uh, Army, Navy, um, does that work, that mentality? I mean, it works for the Marines, obviously, they wouldn't be doing it, but does that kind of mentality work with the average person? Here's the key with that, John. In the world of mental toughness, we call that systematic desensitization. Do not ask me how to spell it, not a clue. <laughs> systematic desensitization, basically, you systematically desensitize your brain to whatever the fear is or whatever the negative vibe is. In the world of sales, we can use that to desensitize somebody to fear of rejection, which I deal with a lot. People are very afraid of being rejected. People are also addicted to the approval of others. These are problems. We systematically desensitize them. When you, when you take a step back from the sales world and now get into the issues we're having right now, especially with violence, mass shootings, that's another very, very large piece of the issue. Children are being desensitized. I mean, there was a study done by the University of California at Riverside back in 2010. They said that by the time a child is 18 years old, they've witnessed over 200,000 acts of violence via television, social media, 16,000 of those were murders that they witnessed. Wow. Nobody in their right mind can say that those kids witnessing those violent acts were not desensitized to it. You can't in your right mind tell me that that didn't have a negative impact on them. Does that mean they're going to go shoot somebody up? No, it doesn't mean that. But I can tell you anybody with a partially functioning 
uh, frontal cortex is going to understand that that had some kind of adverse impact on them. And wh- I only have like 30 seconds left. Um, what what can be done about this uh, in a general sense to make people m- more mentally tough? What can people do? People, people can look and they can view things from objective reality and they have to start thinking critically, which means critical thinking is basing decisions on greater criteria devoid of emotion, looking at facts, making decisions based on facts, not feelings. That's, that's a problem. It's hard to do, but it's something that in order to be mentally tough, you have to master that. And that probably doesn't include having a safe room when somebody comes to campus and gives a speech <laughs> that you don't agree with, right? But getting a trophy for 12th place definitely does, and uh, triggering people could, could hurt that, so I agree with you. Hey, thank you very much for being here, Eric. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, John. Have a great day. Okay, that's Eric Rittmeyer. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peterson, Washington. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio is among those saying justice was served with the firing of police officer Joseph Pantaleo whose chokehold contributed to the death of Eric Garner. Today will not bring Eric Garner back, but I hope it brings some small measure of closure and peace to the Garner family. That doesn't please police union officials. New York Police Union President Patrick Lynch says officers now need to understand they're on their own with no backing from the city or department. To our members who are out in the street right now, no job is routine any longer. No job. On Wall Street, that out by 250 points to 26,135. The NASDAQ rose 107. The S&P advanced 35. Oil up to 56.21 a barrel. This is SRN News. When it comes to your pain, many of you might be skeptical, like I was, about ordering Relief Factor. Pat Boone again for this wonderful 100% drug-free supplement designed to help your own body lower or eliminate occasional aches and pains due to aging, exercise, everyday living. I'm not skeptical any longer. The three-week quick start is now discounted to only $19.95. Why don't you let us see if we can get you out of pain, too, at relieffactor.com. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%. APR, 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. 8.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Mike Gallagher wants to know where the ethical journalists have gone. Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. This is such a crazy story. Whatever happened to the old journalistic adage, if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. That's what journalists used to do. When the media asks itself why we've lost so much faith in them, well, this is a great example of it. The Mike Gallagher Show, weekdays at 9, right before Dennis Prager at noon on AM 1250. The Answer. Do you or your business have financial problems? Are you overwhelmed with debt? Then call me, Attorney Dennis Spire at 412-471-7675. My legal practice concentrates on bankruptcy law, debtor rights, and tax matters. I have over 30 years' experience as a former United States Department of Justice bankruptcy attorney and lawyer in private practice. I have represented thousands of cases faced with financial problems and lawsuits. Reorganize and get a fresh start. Call 412-471-7675 or visit my website at DennisSpira.com. Community Bank. City Mission. Number One Cochrane. Highmark Stadium. Peters Township Community Center. Angelo's Restaurant. What do all these...
these businesses have in common? Nello Construction. Design and build with one company. Nello Construction. Full service construction from the ground up. Renovation. Expansion. Nello Construction. The choice for business. See the projects. Begin the journey at NelloConstruction.com. Are you worried that the next market downturn could rob you of your wealth and your security? Are you concerned that your lifetime may last longer than your life savings? You don't have to be. For over 30 years, Gary Hunt has advocated for strong retirement principles, helping families in Allegheny and Westmoreland generate more income while protecting their retirement funds. And Gary now offers retirement-minded savers and investors a free book so you can better understand what it takes to structure a more stable, secure, and confident retirement. Call Gary Hunt and request your copy of Income Allocation. 844-366-HUNT. That's 844 Homeowners love their Pella windows and doors, and we love how happy we made Susan from Sewickley. I just have to tell you, this bay window is absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's fantastic. It really is beautiful. I mean, beautiful. Can we install some happiness for you? Right now, get 50% off installation or 18 months, no payments, no interest. Call for your free consultation. We'll come to you. 888-78-PELLA, PellaPittsburgh.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. We're hanging on to some big delays on the Parkway East. Outbound Boulevard of the Allies stacking up to Edgewood, Swissdale. Otherwise, Parkway not too bad on the inbound side. Parkway West is okay. Outbound Liberty Bridge is seeing some delays over the bridge. Outbound 28 slow down Veterans Bridge. To the Highland Park Bridge accident, westbound William Penn Highway at Vincent Hall Road. We've got parts of Bigelow Boulevard and University Place shut down for the Pitt student move-in. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer, weather. A partly cloudy and humid night tonight, a low of 67. For tomorrow, humid with times of clouds and sun, an afternoon shower or thunderstorm around, a high of 87. For tomorrow night, another partly cloudy and humid night with a shower or thunderstorm in the area, a low of 70. And for Wednesday, variable cloudiness, humid with a shower or heavy thunderstorm and a high of 82. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm meteorologist Jake Soja. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Well, have you heard about Project 1619? I uh, stumbled upon it over the weekend, and uh, and I, it's in the New York Times. So the only way I'm going to ever see anything that's in the New York Times is if I, if I stumble over it. So it came from somewhere else. But I did get a chance to look at it a little bit, and it's it's long and boring and stupid. So I, I fortunately, there are people like Byron York at the Washington Examiner who took the time to read it and then trashed it. But uh, basically, well, I'll, I'll just tell you, it's um, I don't have to to try to explain what it is. I'll let the New York Times explain it. Uh, here is the um, official statement from the New York Times about what this is. It aims to reframe the country's history. Is that good enough for you, just to start? Understanding 1619 as our true founding and placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of the story we tell ourselves about who we are. Um, So 1619 was the the year when the first um, slaves showed up in a, uh, you know, the, the slave ships landed in America, it wasn't America by that, well, it wasn't the United States at that time, but it was 1619, and the slaves, they were the first slaves from Africa, were brought in. So, uh, 
according to what Byron York writes here, the basic thrust of the 1619 Project is that everything in American history is explained by slavery and race. Now, you've heard a lot of this um, stuff being spewed by various liberals and Democrats running for various offices over the years. But this is New York Times is coming out and blatantly saying that it's time to forget about this 1776 stuff. And we are this country was founded when the slaves landed in 1619. Uh, this is, it begins with an overview of race in America, and this is a quote from the piece. Our democracy's founding ideals were false when they were written. Black Americans have fought to make them true. That was written by uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, a writer for the Times. And um, now, when I tell you this, you may think, well, that's the New York Times. Who cares? I'm not reading that, and that's a, it's just a liberal rag. But the, I'll tell you why in a minute, why it's, uh, it's not just about the New York Times. The essays go on to cover the economy, uh, and here is a quote from the, uh, from the piece. The brutality of capitalism. If you understand the brutality of American capitalism, you have to start on the plantation. The food we eat is also covered here. The sugar that saturates the American diet has a barbaric history as the white gold that fueled slavery. So if you eat a candy bar today, it's because of slavery. Then nobody would have discovered sugar. There would have been no sugar, no candy bars, and nobody would be fat right now. Um, the answer, and then, then it goes to the physical health. Why doesn't the United States have universal health care? The answer begins with policies enacted after the Civil War. Now, I don't, they don't go into detail, or Byron doesn't go into detail on what they say there, but, you know, is that enough for you? Uh, do you care what the details are of that stupid statement? A quote, again, from the piece. America holds on to an undem- undemocratic assumption from its founding that some people deserve more power than others. And it also somehow um, says that a traffic jam in Atlanta has to do with segregation. So I, I don't know what the explanation is for that, but it says that that um, what does a traffic jam in Atlanta have to do with segre- segregation? Quite a lot. That's what it says. Now, uh, here's the other thing. The Times has joined an organization called the Pulitzer Center, and that is not related to the, the Pulitzer Prize people, although they would, they'll win one for it anyway. Um, but the 1619 Project Curriculum, you can find this stuff online. Um, this is, and if you have kids in school, kids or, grand, or grandkids in school, this is why this isn't just about what was written in the New York Times, and I'm about to tell you why. The 1619 Project Curriculum. What does curriculum uh, mean? School, Right. Um, Here you will find reading guides, activities, and other resources to bring the 1619 Project, are you ready, into your classroom. That's what's going to happen. The New York Times is going to make sure. Now, how many people, not many, um, how many parents will be looking out to see if their kids are going to be subjected to this Project 1619? Um, and if the teachers are going to be, you know, the teachers are going to love it because most of them are liberal. Uh, the paper also wants to reach into schools itself. They are sending writers to the school. We will be sending some of our writers on multi-city tours to talk to students. That's what this, uh, what's her name, Nicole Hannah-Jones said. And we will be sending copies of the magazine to high schools and colleges because to us, this project really takes wing when young people, young people, are able to read this and understand why 
that slavery has shaped their country's history. They should know by now, if they're old enough to be uh, presented with this, they should have been told by now exactly what slavery meant and that we had a, a war. Maybe they'd be able to identify, you know, as the Civil War that uh, where I think 360,000 Union soldiers died trying to end slavery. I don't know how much they get into that in the uh, 1619 project. But, um, and this, as, as Byron York points out, and maybe you heard about this last week or the last couple of weeks, the New York Times, uh, somebody uh, leaked a memo, or the, or the word got out somehow about a staff meeting where they talked about the fact that getting Trump, and it's all about getting Trump, they talked about getting Trump with the charges of Russian collusion, and he's a traitor, and all that stuff that went right down the toilet with the Mueller report. They decided that they had to regroup, and they made no bones about how they were going to regroup. And you can see it every time a Democratic candidate or anybody at MSNBC or CNN opens his or her mouth. The word racist, the phrase white supremacist, bigot, something up to that of that nature comes out in reference to Donald Trump. So this guy, Dean Baquette, who's the executive editor, he said that uh, the he had a vision of making race the central theme of Time's coverage for the remaining two years of President Trump's term in office. He, he actually said it. Now we have to regroup. This is a this is a quote from Baquette from the meeting. Now we have to regroup and shift resources and emphasis to take on a different story. And that story is race, and this is what he said. We've got to change. I mean, the vision for coverage for the next two years is what I talked about earlier. That's what was leaked from the other meeting, You know that they, they can no longer focus on Trump and the Russians. How do we cover a guy who makes these kind of remarks? How do we cover the world's reaction to him? How do we do that while continuing to cover his policies? How do we cover America that's become so divided by Donald Trump? Now, it's... It's Donald Trump who's dividing America, not the New York Times, by coming out with this and wanting to send it into every school and have every kid grow up to believe that the country was founded on slavery and that uh, we I don't know what I don't know what you're supposed to do about it. If you even if you if you agree with that, then what? What are you supposed to do? Leave? I don't know. Apologize? Send money? What do you do? I don't know. This uh, this is this is what uh, one of the staffers said. One of the staffers said, and this is all from the from the memo or from the from the leaked stuff. It's a quote. Just because it feel, feels to me like it, here's what the staffer said. I'm wondering to what extent you think that the fact of racism and white supremacy being sort of the foundation of this country should play into our reporting. That's what the staffer asked Baquette. Just because it feels to me like it should be a starting point, you know. Uh, like these conversations about what is racist and what isn't racist, I just feel like racism is in everything. It should be considered in our science reporting, in our culture reporting, in our national reporting. She left out sports and cooking and, you know, I don't know what else in there. Um, but the staffer's point brought Baquette back to the paper's new initiative. That's what York writes. Quote, one reason we all signed off on the 1619 Project. Now, this is the executive editor of the New York Times and a quote from him. One reason we all signed off on the 1619 Project and made it so ambitious and expansive was to teach our readers to think a little bit more like that. In other words, it's propaganda. Race in the next year is going to be a huge part of the American story, and I mean race in terms of not only African Americans and the relationship, their relationship with Donald Trump, but Latinos and immigration. That's, that's the 
That's the 1619 project that's out there. And again, it's not just the New York Times putting it out so that people who no longer read the New York Times won't read it, because there's a lot of those there are a lot of those people out there who don't read the New York Times. But they are going to be um, presenting it as material for teaching in schools. And here's the other thing about it. PBS is involved. Remember PBS? That's the public broadcasting system that's funded by your tax dollars. PBS is teaming up with them. And TBS is, uh, PBS is going to uh, help disseminate this information with videos. Uh, so you have that to look forward to. That's what you got going on. Now, um, I, you know, I wonder, first of all, CNN and MSNBC are going to love this. They're going to be all over it, and they're going to have these people from the Times, the staffers, the editor. They're all going to be on talking about it. It might be as soon as tonight. It's going to start and going to go all the way through the presidential campaign. It's going to be about race. That's what it's going to be about. So stumbled across something here. Aaron Byrne, our producer, actually came up with this because I was looking for something from someone with – you know, who might be actually sane about this. This was written uh, 17 years ago, August 26, 2002, at the Heritage Foundation by uh, Matthew Spaulding, who was the vice president of American Studies at that time. And he uh, he actually wrote um, a piece about how to understand slavery in the American founding. So 17 years ago, uh, people were still – it was already – being talked about, and you know, how can you have all men are created equal and and still have slaves? And 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 I don't know if he could have predicted back then that fifteen or sixteen years later, people would be saying that you got to get rid of uh, Thomas Jefferson statues and George Washington statues, and pretty much just declare them persona non grata in our uh, history because of the fact that they own slaves. But those, it's a long piece. And some of the some of the highlights, uh, said, he says, at the time of the American founding, about half a million slaves in the United States, mostly in five southernmost states where they made up 40 percent of the population. Here's what uh, George, uh, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, James Madison all owned slaves. But Benjamin Franklin thought that slavery was, quote, an atrocious abasement of human nature and a source of serious evils. And he and Benjamin Rush founded the Pennsylvania Society for Promoting the Abolition of Slavery in 1774. So that's, uh, that's somebody who was pretty uh, important in our founding, and he was opposed to slavery. Here's what John Adams said. Uh, he opposed slavery his entire life as, quote, a foul contagion in the human character and an evil of colossal magnitude. James Madison called it the most oppressive dominion ever exercised by man over man. Alexander Hamilton said, give them their freedom with their muskets. Uh, Alexander Hamilton proposed a general plan to enlist slaves in the army that would end in give them their freedom with their muskets, and George Washington supported a policy with the approval of Congress in South Carolina and Georgia, two of the largest slaveholding states, to let them join the military. In 1786, George Washington wrote this about slavery. This is not a man, there is not a man living who wishes more sincerely than I do to see a plan adopted for the abolition of it. And then uh, he devised a plan to rent his lands and turn his slaves into paid lab- laborers at the end of his presidency. Uh, he, he quietly freed several of his own household slaves. And Thomas Jefferson, uh, during his first term in the House of Burgesses, proposed legislation to emancipate, emancipate slaves in Virginia, but the motion was soundly defeated. 
And um, a summary of view of the rights of British America called for an end to the slave trade. This was from the Virginia delegates at the First Continental Congress. The abolition of domestic slavery is the great object of desire in those colonies where it was unhappily introduced in their infant state. It was introduced in their infant state in 1619, not by the United States of America, but by Great Britain and the king. And it turns out that... That's where Jefferson finds the problem. He, he says that uh, the king, he, he condemns the British king for introducing slavery into the colonies and continuing the slave trade. He says he has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. Now, that, so... The the guys who founded the country, they believed that this slavery was a result of the English and their lack of belief in the equality of all men or all humans. And they uh, these guys, Jefferson and Washington, Madison, all of them, they were born into slave ownership. They were born into the world that already had slaves. Uh, well after they had been uh, brought to this uh, country, not this country, this hemisphere, because it wasn't this country yet, in 1619. So, um, and the word slavery is never mentioned in the Constitution anywhere, because they believed that the Constitution itself would eventually put an end to it. Uh, and I have a few seconds left. Here's, the, here's my, what I think is the most important one. Frederick Douglass, a black man and a former slave, he escaped slavery, he wrote, that um, abolish slavery tomorrow and not a sentence or syllable of the Constitution need be altered. He wrote this in 1864. It was purposely so framed as to give no claim, no sanction to the claim or of property in man. If in its origin slavery had any relation to the government, it was only as the scaffolding to the magnificent structure to re- be removed as soon as the building was completed. So this, the New York Times, they might want to think about it if they're going to, if they're going to, you know, send this garbage out to the schools. They, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I could send the New York Times this piece written uh, 17 years ago that includes all this stuff. Do you think any of what I just said here in the last minute or so is going to get into the schools with Project 1619? I don't think so. We'll be right back. A couple of weeks ago, we had Rocky Blyer here to talk about his work with Miracle League in Moon Township. Fields for athletes with special needs. Jim Leland, the Pirates' former manager, is also involved in that project. Jim, thanks for being here. Great to be here, John. Great to talk to you. Tell me about the Miracle League of Moon Township. It's just a great thing for these kids, and it's a wonderful opportunity for people to participate. Some people are a little less fortunate than others, and I think it's just a great opportunity for people to volunteer and to help out and put a smile on somebody's face. I've seen the field that they put out in Upper St. Clair. It's amazing. Oh, it's unbelievable the way they construct these things they have the ramps and everything for the kids it takes a little stress off the parents i think it's what pittsburgh's all about it's just a great thing it'll serve montour west allegheny moon sewickley weirton steubenville beaver county and
and surrounding communities. Approximately 100 to 200 children will be eligible to participate, and it'll also serve adults with special needs. So it's a great cause. And if you'd like to see how you can help, maybe donate some money, check it out at miraclesinmoon.org. Miraclesinmoon.org. We'll be right back. Morning Bullets is asking for the public to respond to a nationwide poll that could help shape political policy in 2020. This is your chance to be heard by the decision makers all the way up the chain. Their question, should the federal government provide free health care to illegal immigrants? Yes or no? Visit trumpspulseonamerica.com to let your voice be heard before the decisions are made for you. Medical services are guaranteed by the Emergency Treatment and Active Labor Act and require hospitals to provide care regardless of citizenship, legal status, or ability to pay. The Federation for American Immigration Reform reported that medical expenditures for illegal immigrants was over $17 billion in 2017 alone. The decision is up for debate and the policymakers want to hear what the public thinks. Should the federal government provide free health care to illegal immigrants? Yes or no? Go to trumpspulseonamerica.com now to vote. That's trumpspulseonamerica.com. trumpspulseonamerica.com. Be heard. It's a staggering statistic. One in eight women will develop invasive breast cancer during her life. New technology has revolutionized breast cancer treatment, giving women more treatment options than ever before. Dr. Sharla Gale Patterson, breast surgeon. Many women choose to have breast-conserving surgery, also known as a lumpectomy, but this can impact the cosmetic appearance of the breast. Newer oncoplastic surgery techniques minimize dimpling or other cosmetic changes to a woman's breast, helping her to look and feel like herself. A new medical device called Biosorb helps minimize dimpling of the breast after doctors remove the cancerous lump, maintaining the natural shape of the breast. Biosorb also helps with radiation targeting. Think of it as a GPS for breast cancer, helping radiation oncologists better target treatments to minimize the impact on the surrounding healthy tissue. It's also important for follow-up mammograms because the marker can help identify the site of the previous cancer, aiding with future imaging or medical procedures. For more information, visit mybiosorb.com. The Supreme Court confirmation process has been on the point of breakdown for 30 years, and it finally collapsed with the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. I'm Molly Hemming. And I'm Carrie Severino. Our new book, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh confirmation in the future of the Supreme Court tells the story of the process that Kavanaugh himself called a national disgrace and a circus. The Supreme Court is the arbiter of America's most divisive disputes. The incentive to destroy Supreme Court nominees has become nearly irresistible. Our book, Justice on Trial, explores how that happened to Brett Kavanaugh and what we must do to prevent it from happening again. With more than 100 interviews, including the president, dozens of senators and other officials, we uncovered shocking details, untold until now. Will the next confirmation fight be even uglier than Kavanaugh's? Our new book, Justice on Trial, has the answer. Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh confirmation and the future of the Supreme Court is the explosive new bestseller by Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino, published by Regnery. Get your copy now at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and wherever books are sold. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, just in case you haven't heard enough stupidity about the race uh, uh, coming from the Democrats, uh, here's, uh, have you seen what uh, Beto, Beto, Robert O'Rourke has said? Uh, his, his campaign is now going to be basically based on uh, just calling everybody a racist. Uh, everybody. Well, everybody who's not a Republican. Um, and, and so that's going to be his theme. He's, uh, he was getting less than 1%, so this, will really, this should really uh, kick in for him and really get him, really get him rolling. This, he says, this, <clears throat> this country, though we would like to think otherwise, was founded on racism, has persisted through racism, and is racist today. That's what he said 
Uh, and he said uh, he called racism foundational because of the legacy of slavery before he just, uh, he, of course, he went from right, right from that to, of course, calling Donald Trump a racist and a bigot and all that stuff. Uh, and what's interesting about this is that uh, the, the media, the, there's not, it's not a subjective thing anymore where someone might be a racist. With Donald Trump, it's he is a racist and it's stated as a fact. And if, and if you voted for him, you're a racist. If you deny that he's a racist, you're a racist. And he has never, and, and most of the things that are, the, 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 most of the references to his, uh, the evidence that he's a racist comes from them. They say it. He doesn't. He doesn't say anything racist. Never talks about it. They do. But that's where we are. And you should all apologize and feel ashamed for being an American. I'll talk to you tomorrow. The John Steigerwall Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group.